Right now we're going to read the Bible. We read the Bible every week here at City Light because we believe that it's through the Bible that God speaks to us. And so we're continuing on in the book of Galatians, chapter 2, from verse 11. So if you've got a Bible, you can open it up, um, but it'll be on the screen behind me as well. So Galatians 2, from verse 11. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face, because he stood condemned. For before certain men came, for before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we, have, so we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law no one will be justified. Well, we are, as Jacob mentioned, about to dive into this part of the book of Galatians. So our regular practice as a church is we take a book of the Bible and we move through it chapter by chapter and verse by verse. And we are in a book called Galatians, which was a letter written to a church in Galatia, which is in modern day Turkey. Um, Now, you might think that's a strange thing to dive into on Mother's Day. But it's funny, as we read through that text, it is an incredibly appropriate section to be looking at on this particular day. One of the things that we get to celebrate um, on Mother's Day is just the unconditional love that mums pour out. Um, They sacrifice for their kids so much, so often, uh, sometimes even too much. But one of the strange things and one of the most common struggles that I've heard from mums as I've spoken to a bunch of you is the sense that even having sacrificed so much that many feel like they're not doing either a good job or a good enough job. You think, isn't that strange? There is just so much pressure on mumming, isn't there? My kid's not sleeping. Ah, it's because like I used the wrong sleep technique. Or I used the right one, which was controlled crying, and now I've ruined them forever. They'll never form a proper attachment with me. Or it's things like, my kid doesn't have as many words as the other kids. And that's my fault because I didn't read them, the complete works of Shakespeare, while they were still in the womb. So it's my fault that they're not going to be literate. Or it's they're they're a fussy eater. Of course, that's my fault. I should have given them the French diet, whatever that is, right? I should have given them a a wider array of foods. Now they're going to be a fussy eater. They're probably going to get scurvy and their life will be ruined forever. There's just this constant uh, sense of not having done enough. But ironically, even as we look at that, it's not just a struggle for mums. I reckon most people have a deep sense of have I done enough? Am I enough? Am I good enough? I don't know if you heard the phrase, I wouldn't necessarily have expected you to, but is there anyone here who's heard the phrase, turn on, tune in, drop out? Right, like three people, great. Okay, that phrase came from a man who was called the LSD Messiah. And his name was Timothy Leary, and his whole life project was to encourage people about the benefits of taking LSD and other kind of similar sort of array of drugs. That was his whole life effort. And he, over his time, smashed a superhuman amount of drugs and LSD. But in watching a documentary on his life, 
Strangely enough, on his deathbed, one of his female friends recounts that he was obsessed with one question. And he kept asking it again and again to her, but also to others. And he kept saying them. He would draw someone close to him and he would say, Was I a good boy? Was I a good boy? Now, it may be that this was just delirium and sinking a truckload of disco biscuits will scramble the circuitry a little bit. So it could have just been that. But she seemed to think it was genuine. And I don't think it's that unusual that he would either. Because he, like us, was just human. And I reckon a question that plagues many of us is the question of, am I good? Isn't that why we long for approval from other people? Isn't that why we are pushed to succeed, to do things, to accomplish things? Something that we can put a flag on and say, I did something so that other people will look at us and say, you're a good person. You have done something amazing. You are good. We long for approval because we want to know that we're good and we kind of believe if enough other people believe that, then maybe it's certainly true. That's something I could actually stake my life upon. But the irony is it's never enough. Doesn't matter how many followers or likes you have, doesn't matter how many people you can gain approval for, it plagues us the sense of, am I good enough? Am I really good? I think because the truth is, we worry that we're not. And the gospel, the heart of the gospel speaks right to this. Because the gospel, the message of Jesus, is the only message I know of where you can be good, not based on anything you have done or achieved or accomplished, but based on something that someone else has done for you. In fact, the whole thing that Paul, who wrote this letter, is wrestling with with the church is to say, do not trust in your own works. Don't lean on what you can do, but trust that Jesus has done enough for you to make you right before God. See, what we're all searching for, I think, is approval from God, to know that He knows us and He loves us. And Paul says there is one way to get it, and it's not through what we do, it's what through Jesus has done. So I'm going to pray that as we open this text, that God would be opening the eyes of our heart to see his truth this morning. Let's pray. Father, we are so prone to believe that we can win your love and your approval by our own efforts. We pray that we would hear this morning from your word in Galatians that there is none who will be justified by works of the law or by what we do, but only through faith in Jesus Christ. And we pray this for the sake of your holy name. Amen. Well, Galatians, as I mentioned, is a letter to the Galatian church. And again, that's in modern Turkey. Um, so it's an area uh, that is no longer called that. Uh, but Paul was a Jewish man who, for as soon as Christianity kind of exploded in the Near East, dedicated all of his efforts and attention and work to destroying the church. He persecuted, he imprisoned, he beat, he killed Christians. And then suddenly he was confronted by the Lord Jesus himself and he went from killing Christians to actually being a Christian. And we heard last week that his life was completely transformed by it and the transformation was so dramatic that people were skeptical about it. Because he had, he had been so dedicated to persecuting the church, when people heard that he was now preaching the message of Jesus for himself, they thought it's got to be a trick. He's trying, to, he's trying to whittle his way into the churches so he can do more damage. People couldn't believe that it would actually happen. But it was true and his life had been transformed. And then from then on, he dedicated his life to telling people this message, this gospel, this good news. And it was a simple gospel. It was just this, that we all are sinners. And in our sin, we've separated ourselves from God. 
And because of that, the penalty is death. But Jesus came and paid that penalty for us so that we can be made right with God, approved by God, loved by God because of what Jesus has done. And he went around preaching that message and planting churches. And he took this gospel out to non-Jewish people. And the phrase of the time was Gentiles. That was anyone who was not Jewish. He took it out to people who had no familiarity with their traditions or their Bible. And he preached the message of the gospel and they got saved and these churches were established. But after he'd left the church in Galatia, some people came into the church and they're like, yes, definitely, that whole good news about Jesus, that's, that's the right stuff, that's really good. But also, if you really want to be approved by God, if you really want to be one of his people, you have to get circumcised, you have to become Jewish, you have to keep these customs and maintain those. So yes, it's the gospel, yes, it's faith in Jesus, but it's also a little bit of this as well. And Paul is writing to the church to say, absolutely not. There's no compromise. It's not a little bit of works and a little bit of grace. He says, unless it is grace and grace alone, then it's not the gospel. And so look what he says here. He says, this, this has been thought about in the churches before. And we've established this. In Galatians 2, 11 to 14, he says, But when Kephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Kivas before them all, If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? Paul says we were in Antioch, and Kivas, who's also called Peter, who's kind of the leader of the disciples, comes up to that area and he's meeting with people who are not Jewish, sharing the gospel with them, people who've come to faith in Jesus. But then Paul says a bunch of men came up from Jerusalem, sent from James, Jesus' brother, and he calls them the circumcision party, which sounds like the worst party of all time. <laughs> Don't vote for them if they're on the ballot form. It won't be good for anyone. And Paul calls them that partly to mock them. Because they were the ones coming up saying that if you really want to get saved, the men will need to get circumcised and you need to adopt these Jewish customs in order to be approved by God. And Paul is saying at this point, I said to Peter, what are you doing? You, you were eating with Gentiles, you were living like you weren't even Jewish. You know that this stuff is not crucial to having a relationship with God. But as soon as these others came up, in order to impress them or because you feared them or whatever it is, you started acting completely out of line with your convictions. And notice here, he doesn't say to him, Peter, you're, you're not a Christian. He says to him, no, you are living out of step with the truth of the gospel. That is, what he believed about the gospel and what he was doing were not matching up. They were out of step. He says, when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Kivas before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? His behavior was not in step with the gospel. It was not in sync. Because the gospel that he knew and that Peter knew was, there is nothing that you need to do to get right with God. That all you need to do is to trust in Jesus, his death and resurrection on your behalf, and you are made right with God. That's it. There is not race or custom that's a part of it. There is no work to contribute. It is in Christ and Christ alone. And so he said to Peter, what are you doing? You know this isn't right. It's completely out of step. 
Isn't it interesting to reflect on this? That just in the section before, he said this happened almost 15 years after the establishment of the gospel. So that means that there are leaders in the church who had been leaders for almost 15 years and yet still were able to do something like this that's out of step with the truth of the gospel, to live out of line with it. See, the whole challenge of the Christian life is not to do things to win God's favor. That's already been achieved by Christ. We have the love of God in Jesus. The whole challenge of the Christian life is bringing what you do in line with what you actually believe about the gospel. Paul says it's living in step with the truth of the gospel. Years ago, our eldest child, Asher, got invited to an older kids' party, and they had a lot of classic retro games there, the egg and spoon race, the sack race, and then it came to the three-legged race. And uh, I thought this would be interesting to see how kids go with this because it is a little bit counterintuitive that you have to kind of go a bit slower to go faster, all of that. But when I saw that Asher, who was the youngest at the party, was tethered to the oldest, tallest, most enthusiastic and competitive kid at the party, I thought this is going to be interesting slash very challenging. And so their legs were tied together with, you know, rope or a stocking or whatever it was. And they said, three, two, one, go. And they went two steps into the race before Asher was on the ground. And I did think at that point that the other kid's going to be like, oh, well, I guess it's over for us. Incorrect. <laughs> he dragged his carcass along like this until they got to the finish line, finishing completely last anyway. And poor little Asher, he took it like a champ. But <laughs> he must have been, he's probably, he probably now, whenever he sees a three-legged race, will go into the fetal position, right? <laughs> It was, it was clear at that point they were not walking in step. And the whole challenge of the three-legged race is if you don't walk in step, there will be trouble. In this passage, Paul says, Peter and them, when they started to act like there was something else you needed to do to get right with God, were acting out of step with the gospel, the truth of the gospel. That's what Paul writes. He says they're not in sync. This is not in accord with the truth of the gospel. The gospel is that there is nothing you contribute. And race and custom are no obstacle to a relationship with God. But Peter was acting like it was. And he started withdrawing from other racial groups and stopped preaching to them the gospel, all because he was worried about impressing these other people who had it wrong anyway. And Paul goes on to say, now this is not the gospel. Look what he says in Galatians 2, 15 to 16. He says, We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Every religion, every worldview even, believes that in order to be good or approved either by others or by God, there is something that you must do. Here are the rules that you've got to keep. Here are the customs that you've got to practice. Here are the prayers that you have to pray. And if you do those and do them enough and do them well enough, God will approve of you. The community will approve of you. Even if you are secular and don't, I wouldn't describe yourself as religious or spiritual, still the prevailing belief is there's something that you must do in order to be good. That is, you need to find your true self and unlock your real potential. And if you don't, you will miss out, you will miss out on living a proper and meaningful life. That there was a good and happy life that you could have lived, but you didn't do it because you didn't do enough. But in the end, it all comes down to you. Christianity is the only worldview that says it's not about you. 
It's not about what you can do or what you have done, but what has been done for you in Christ. Where you are not justified by your works, but someone else and what they have done, what Jesus has done. Paul says we are not justified by the law or by works of the law or anything we do, but only through faith in Jesus Christ. And he's going to hammer this in again and again and again over this letter because we are prone to either disbelieve it or to live out of step with it. And the reason he's so worried here is that this church in Galatia has somehow started to think that, yes, it's mostly grace. It's like 99% grace, undeserved favor. But it's just, you've just got to do a little bit of works. You've got to put a little bit into the mix. And Paul says it's either works or it's grace. Even if you add a little bit, the whole thing is works. Because he says even if you change what seems to be such a small thing, like just keep a few of these customs, just do a few of these things in order to, to get approval from God, he says it changes the whole relationship. And we understand this, don't we? Imagine you're on a date and everything's going great. It's great food, sparkling conversation. It's been a great night. And at the end of the night, you say to your date, it's been such a lovely evening with you. Here's $50. Thank you. Does that change the relationship at that point? Yeah, it does, doesn't it? It changes everything. Because there is a transactional and a, and, a, and a grace relationship are worlds apart, aren't they? And then what seems like a small action changes things completely. And so it is with God. That if we say, God, there's just one thing I want to do for you, that, that's how I'll be right with you, it changes the relationship completely. God has established one way to have relationship with him, and it's through faith in Jesus Christ and what he has done. Not works, and they cannot be mixed. Paul says, by works, no one will be justified. No one will be able to stand before God and say, God, look at my track record. Look what I've done. Look how I've lived. There will be only one plea before God to say, look at what Christ has done on my behalf and what I could not do as a sinner. But if grace is so good, why is it that we struggle to believe it? If grace is so good, why is it that we struggle to believe it? Why is it that we find it so hard to walk in step with the gospel? If this is such a freeing and life-giving message, if this is genuinely good news, why is it so hard to hold on to? Well, we live in a world where you pay for everything, where nothing is free. And not only that, but if you want people to like you or to be attracted to you, you need to work very hard to look a certain way or to act a certain way in order to draw other people's approval and affection. And so we imagine that surely God must operate on the same principles. I mean, of course he's God, so he's probably just a little, bit, a little better than the aggregate down here. But largely in the end, he probably does still operate in the same way. And so we imagine that, sure, God loves us, and he loves us more than most people do, but it's probably a mix of like his grace covering over some of the stuff, my sin and what I've messed up, but also there are some good things that I do in the mix, and as a package, that's why he loves me. And so we often start to slip into that way of thinking because that's what we're used to. That's how we relate to the world around us mostly. And so we, we imagine that that's how God operates with us as well. We can't imagine that God would love us no matter who we are or what we've done. We can't imagine that there's absolutely nothing that we could contribute to actually pay for something of what we've done, but it's all upon Jesus. And we struggle to believe it. It reminds me, I heard the story years ago of some missionaries who adopted two boys. 
and they were missionaries in Eastern Europe, and they, um, they knew it was going to be difficult adopting in their context, and they knew that the boys had had a very difficult upbringing until that point. They were both young before, hadn't re- reached school age quite yet, but were old enough to talk and think and understand things um, quite well. And so they knew it was going to be challenging integrating them into family life. But over the first couple of weeks, they noticed that the boys in particular were fighting with each other. And they were brothers, and that surprised them. The reason they'd adopted them together was so that they wouldn't be separated. But the boys were fighting with each other almost constantly. And it only came out, they only realized what was happening when they spoke to them, and they realized that the boys thought that only one of them was going to get adopted. And so they were fighting because they wanted to be the one who was adopted because they thought one of them was going back to the orphanage. And when the new parents explained to them that they'd both been adopted and that they weren't going to reverse that ever, that they were both in and this was now their home and their family, it changed everything. Until that point, the boys thought they were going to have to win and fight and scrape in order to win their parents' approval. And after that, they knew that they were secure in their parents' love. And parental love, when it's at its best, is the closest earthly illustration of the unconditional love of God in Christ. And maybe this is a struggle for you because your parents' love wasn't particularly unconditional. In fact, maybe it was highly conditional. That you noticed when you were achieving or doing certain things in particular areas of life, maybe even in religious life, maybe even in Christianity, when you were acting a certain way, they would heap praise and affection on you. And when you weren't, they would become cold and distant. And so you imagine that must be in everywhere what God is like as a heavenly father. But Paul is uncompromising on the gospel here. He said God's love is unconditional and it is sheer grace. There is nothing that you do to contribute to it, but it's all on Christ. There is no works of the law that we may contribute to this, but he loves us even in our sin because he knows us. He knows that there is no way to be right with him except through Jesus Christ. That is the love of God. And ultimately, I think this is what all of us are looking for. That that anxiety expressed in Timothy Leary right to the end of his life is probably rumbling away in most souls the sense of, am I good enough? Where, where would I find an approval that cannot be taken away? And it's here. It's in the gospel. It's in God himself. And so I'd put to you, if you have never considered this for yourself, to come along next week to Alpha. Now, most people, most people in Sydney, if I'm reading it right, aren't particularly against finding out the message about Christianity or Jesus especially. Most people are just reasonably sort of indifferent to it. There's so much going on in this city. There are so many different worldviews to consider. It just seems like another one of those. But could I put to you this? You can only really be indifferent to something if you're pretty sure you know what it's about. The letters that you get in your letterbox that remain unopened and go straight to the trash go there because you're pretty sure of what's in them. It starts with dear householder and you're like, okay, yeah, off you go. Jog on, mate, right? There are certain letters where you you are almost 100% certain you know what's in there. But I just want to challenge you. Are you sure you know what Christianity is about? Are you sure you know what Jesus is about? Because it may in fact surprise you. It might be something that you thought you knew, but to actually dive into it yourself is the best way to be sure. And so if that's you, I'd encourage you to just come along next week at 12.30. It's a great lunch provided, a great chance to chat. You don't even have to ask any questions. You can just sit there and, and watch the presentation and just take it all in if that's where you feel like you're at. 
We would love to have you with us because we believe there is nothing like the gospel in all the earth. Nothing at all. Nothing even close. And if you are a follower of Jesus, the challenge to you from this section of Galatians and what Paul says is, are you living in step with the gospel? Is what you believe about Jesus, about the gospel, matching up with how you act? Is it the case that you believe that you are right before the creator of the universe? The creator of the universe loves you and knows you, and yet you cower before ordinary people. Let me just ask you a few questions from a book called, can I remember the title of it? What, what do you think about me and why do I care? That gives you an insight into what the book's about. And it's by a guy called Ed Welsh. He's got a bunch of questions, just a series of them in a row about our obsession with being approved by others. So just consider these and consider the truth of the gospel. Do you buy clothes because of what other people will think? Have you ever not gone somewhere because you didn't have the right clothes or didn't like the way you looked? Do you spend a lot of time in front of the mirror? Do you avoid people either because you're angry with them or because you'd be embarrassed if they ever saw you? Do you ever get embarrassed being seen with certain people? Have you ever been embarrassed at the thought that other people might know that you're a Christian? Have you ever been embarrassed to share the gospel with someone or invite someone to church? Do you ever exaggerate things about yourself to make yourself seem better? Do you feel like a failure sometimes? Are you afraid to ask questions in certain contexts because you don't want to look foolish or stupid? Do you ever wish you were thinner, stronger, taller, shorter, smarter, faster or better looking? Have you ever been jealous of someone thinner, t stronger, taller, shorter, smarter, faster or better looking? Now of course I could go on. But I think there's enough there for us all to put up our hand and say yes at some point. Isn't it crazy how out of step we can live with the gospel? We want to serve people and love people like Christ did. But we shouldn't be so beheld to their, to their opinions, should we? If we believe the gospel, that you are right before the creator of the universe, that you'll be able to stand there on that last day and have him welcome you in as his very own child, then why should it matter what anyone else would say about us? It might sting for a bit, but it really shouldn't be the controlling principle of our lives. It's out of step with the gospel. And so I'm going to pray that as a church community, that if you are a follower of Jesus, that this would be a year where you see what you believe about the gospel and your life just come into closer and closer alignment. To be less like a three-legged race that's completely unevenly run and to live more and more in step with the truth and the reality of the gospel. Let's pray together. Father, we praise you that you are a loving Father. That you have demonstrated your love for us in this, that you sent Christ as an atoning sacrifice for our sin, that we might be set free from sin and death, that we might be welcomed into your family, that we might be loved and approved of, not because of anything we have done, but all because of Christ. Empower us by your Holy Spirit to live in step with the gospel to live lives that reflect the truth and the reality of the gospel and to transform us day after day and week after week for the glory of your name. Amen.